Living on his own at the age of 17 and without health insurance, Ryan Saldivar suffered multiple spinal fractures in a surfing accident that left him in pain so severe it would be hours before he was able to even remove his wetsuit. The doctor at Kaiser recommended only the most extreme of interventions, five spinal fusions followed by explorative surgery before sending Ryan home with a veritable bouquet of opiate prescriptions. Unable to sit or stand for long periods of time, battling insomnia, and unsure if he could even secure a job due to his chronic pain, Ryan chose instead to seek healing through the help of a chiropractor in the practice of a special form of kundalini yoga. Within two years, Ryan's injuries and subsequent chronic pain had undergone a near complete remission. Years later, bearing the original x-ray of his fractured spine, replete with images of fragments of bone floating around the spinal column, Ryan visited the doctor who had originally treated him. Not only did the doctor not remember Ryan, but he refused to believe that Ryan's injuries had been as serious as he claimed, stating flatly that there could be no causal relationship between Ryan's recovery and his holistic practice. Now, at the age of 40, and a massage therapist, yoga instructor, and soon-to-be doctor of chiropractic, Ryan Saldivar is a spine and joint rehabilitation specialist who has helped over 5,000 people with back pain since overcoming his own injuries. Today, Ryan will also address the following. What steps might one who is injured or experiencing chronic pain take to heal themselves? What daily practices should we follow in order to maintain our health generally? My name is Benjamin Rusick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. Today, I am here with... Ryan Saldivar. Ryan Salvador is my massage therapist. Ryan, what kind of massage therapy do you do? So what I call my work is spine and orthopedic massage. I'm a yoga teacher and a massage therapist. I have a concentration on helping people with spinal pain or if they've had um, you know, joint sprains and strains, that's also my specialty. A lot of people I work with as well are um, you know, techies that spend a lot of time at the computer. But it's, it's not your, your full body massage where you get rubbed down with a lot of oils, more, more deep, concentrated on the spine, the hips, the shoulders. And digging the pain out is what we call it. The reason I'm having Ryan on today is not necessarily because he's a massage therapist, but because he's kind of an everything person. He is a healer. I regard him essentially as my doctor. You are in chiropractic school, correct? Yeah. The first two years of chiropractic school is the same two years that any doctor will get. The same courses, the same materials, everything, yeah? We get a lot of the same anatomy. And then they go into the pharmacy, and then we go into the adjusting. You actually get into the doing and how to actually help people as opposed to which drugs to give them. And we get a lot of hands-on right in our curriculum. And then by the time they're going into their rotating residencies, we have an in-school clinic where we start to adjust people's spine right there, and we get the hands-on experience there as well. And the other thing about Ryan is that he's connected to a lot of really interesting um, other forms of healing. The thing is, is that I'll go in and I'll be complaining about the fact that, you know, I can't sleep or that I'm stiff in a particular way. And Ryan says, you know, you're not drinking enough, you're not drinking enough water because that affects your kidneys, which makes you have to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, which doesn't make any sense to me, but it worked. (laughs) And Ryan has lots of, you know, pieces of advice that, that work. And I don't know why. Since my original background of study began in the roots of yoga, which has its roots in Ayurveda from India, the ancient healing systems of, of India that came combining hands-on body work, exercise based in yoga therapy, uh, herbal remedies and, and dietary recommendations. And with that combination, they treated everything. And since I began my studies of anatomy from the viewpoint of um, meditation and Ayurvedic studies, it, it gave me a holistic mindset 
which sometimes modern allopathic science agrees with, and sometimes they, they'll say the complete opposite. Uh, but one of the things I really enjoy is finding ways where we can explain with modern science things that have been said for thousands of years through India and China and the systems of medicine there. Can you talk a little bit about those systems? The interesting thing is that, and one of the reasons why they might get some criticism for things like acupuncture from, from MDs, they base the system on the flow of energy through the body. And in Chinese medicine, acupuncture, we're looking at the flow of 12 meridians that flow through the body, yin and yang balancing. And each of the meridians represent one of the organ systems, be it the, the liver, the stomach, small intestine. And they, they associate times of the year, a certain emotion with each organ and each meridian system. And so the lungs, for example, are said to be a storehouse of grief. And so is the large intestine. And so they'll have that partnership together, a yin and a yang partnership. The thing is that in Chinese medicine, they're studying living people and for the research, whereas in modern allopathic medicine, a lot of the studies were done on cadavers in the original systems, where they're actually studying how the body functions as studying dead people. And so the Chinese medicine system, they would observe behaviors. So they would see that after somebody's spouse died, for example, they were more likely to start smoking after that as a way to deal with that grief. And so they are working on clearing these emotions so that the organs can function more healthy. For a personal question, what is energy? People talk about that a lot. And I find that in a lot of podcasts and books, they'll use the term energy the way a Western doctor might use the term blood. Like everyone knows what blood is. Well, everyone knows what energy is. Speaking in terms of Chinese medicine, they would use their word qi for the life force of the body. This primitive, innate, inside living life force, which keeps us alive, keeps us healthy, helps us to detox, helps us to have the energy that we need to get up and do things to accomplish our work, and then helps us to slow down at times while we're resting to do that healing within the deep rest. Um, this podcast, we're going to be talking about opiates and how people use painkillers to help themselves with their back pain. People that have experienced intense back pain, like um, for myself, I had a spinal fracture. You can't just take one or two painkillers and then have that pain diminished. It takes quite a bit. By the time the painkillers are taken effect, you're almost in a dreamlike state. But when people have to take those on a regular basis to sustain a pain-free way of life, they're taking their, their chi force, their internal life force down so much that their own healing systems are being compromised. So then um, you have to ask yourself, what is a medicine? If it takes the energy system within your body for a desired outcome of relieving the pain, but at that same time is lowering your immunity. And even when people are sleeping, when they're taking opiates, they'll tell you that they're not really sleeping deep. It's more of a dreamlike state that they're lying there for a period of time. Fascinating. Your history around healing has been really extensive. Could you speak about all that? A lot of people call it the parable of the wounded healer, someone that got into a line of work because they themselves had a similar challenge. Uh, the parable of the wounded healer is that, I think it was, I forget his name, I should know his name, it's a Greek myth, and he has this wound in his side that he can't heal, and in an attempt to heal it, he can't heal himself, but he learns to heal others through trying to heal himself. And so the idea is, is that a lot of healers in this world are themselves wounded people because they're so fixated on their own pain and their own deal that they, they learn to heal others. You know, and within the study of trying to work on things within ourselves that at one point may have seemed unhealable, it might have seemed something unconquerable. Um, speaking in my case, I had a spinal injury at 17, but before this spinal injury happened, I was very athletic. So I grew up surfing in the West Coast of California, many times surfing big waves. And then one day at Steamer Lane, I fell at the wrong place at low tide and I had multiple waves hitting me against the rocks at the bottom of the shore there. Ouch. You know, some scrapes and bruises for sure, but the first hit was on my cervical spine, and so I had a fracture there at C3. Where is C3? 
like right in the middle of the neck. A lot of nerves are connected there. And lucky for me, it was a, a functional fracture. You can imagine hairlines coming through the, the vertebrae. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as if it shattered, like, but it was intense enough to create quite a bit of disc injury in the surrounding. And then in the, the following waves that came, I had three other spinal fractures. And so it was one of the near-death experiences where I was underwater for you know, 30 to 45 seconds at a time, being thrashed around by the waves, and then at the same time receiving impacts to the spine that were uh, very damaging to the spine. I surfed with a, a friend named Sean Johnson. We always kept an eye on each other. And he saw it happen, and then he saw me as I was right about to get out of the water. Uh, one last wave picked me up about five feet and dropped me right on my lumbar on a rock. Oh. And so that was the very last fracture from the day that one of the, the worst ones because it was about a five foot fall right down onto a rock with also the, the power of a wave there on top of me. So the, when you fracture your spine like that, it's enough to also create quite a bit of disc injury, which sort of complicates injury. And where's the lumbar? Lumbar is the, the lowest five vertebrae. We call the spine in three sections. The cervical is the neck. The thoracic is the 12 vertebrae that connect to the ribs. Mm -hmm. And then the lumbar are the five on the bottom that connect then down to the hips and the sacrum. So you had this horrible, these pair of injuries to your spine. And what was the next step for you? All of those injuries happened in one day. And you know, the amazing thing is about shock. When it happened, I had no idea how bad I was hurt. The adrenaline kicks in. You don't really feel it in the second. Right. I turned to my friend. I said, wow, I got kind of rocked, you know. But then I even paddled back out and I caught two or three more waves before the adrenaline wore off. And then I started to go into spasms. Oh. And then I started to realize how badly I was hurt. So then I got out of the water. I could barely walk to the car. I had to actually wear my wetsuit home on the drive from Santa Cruz home because I couldn't actually bend to take the wetsuit off. So oh, God. At that point, I was realizing, wow, I really hurt myself here. And I remember I got home and got into the bathtub and through the bathtub, I was able to get my back to stop spasming enough to where I could actually take off the wetsuit. So then the reality started to settle in of what had happened. Did not live with my parents at the time. I was 17 years old. I had no health insurance. And so it took me a couple days before I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to Kaiser. You know, when you have a back injury, it takes a couple days before the real pain settles in. There's an initial pain of uh, impact happened, as if you got a big bruise or a contusion. And then a couple days later, the inflammation settles in if there's an associated ligament sprain. The ligaments hold each bone to the next bone. Or if there's any muscle or tendon tears, the, the tendons will connect the bones to the muscle. And so I had had a little bit of all of that along with some fractured vertebrae. So over time, I realized, well, I'm in a lot of pain here. I'm going to Kaiser. So I checked myself into Kaiser. They gave me the x-ray and MRI there. And what they recommended was five spinal fusions and what they called explorative surgery, which basically meant they couldn't really tell the extent of the disc damage yeah. until they got in there. So they were going to open it up and see if they wanted to fuse more than five vertebrae. And what's the spinal fusion? When somebody has a bad disc injury, it can create instability in the vertebrae. And one thing that an MD has a solution to do with that is they will take a, a very small piece of hardware and some screws and actually connect one vertebrae to the next and it'll be immobile at that point. Now, if there is a, a really bad disc compression or a case where sometimes there's no disc, this can be a neurosurgical emergency where this could save somebody's life. It can give them their life back. So there are times where there's really bad injuries. I'm very lucky I didn't sustain this level of injury where somebody could have something like what's called cauda equina syndrome, where they become incontinent from a really bad lower back injury. Wow. Why does a fusion work? Why does stabilizing a vertebrae help somebody? What's going on? You know, it's interesting location there in the spine. 
when the spine leaves the back of the head, there's over 80 billion neurons right there in the spinal cord. And they're coming down, transmitting the force of all of the, the computer system of the brain to the whole body. And you have their motor neurons that go to tell glands and organs and muscles what to do, such as telling the, the ovaries to make estrogen or telling the adrenals to make adrenaline. And then you have other neurons that move muscles. And then there's other neurons that actually send a sensory signal. So those are the ones that when they're compressed, you're going to feel pain. You can have a compressed motor neuron and not feel pain. It'll just have a weakness and contraction down that muscle line. So when these neurons leave the spine, to go out through the body to send these signals so that our body can function, they go through a series of places where there's small tunnels and they are subject to sometimes being into a condition that we call entrapment. Chiropractors used to think that the bone was actually pinching on the bone when people had a pinched nerve uh, compressed such as sciatica. Now we realize what's happening is that that space is actually pretty large where the nerve leaves the spine. But what happens is it gets rotated, the, there's torsion on the ligaments, there's torsion on the tendons, inflammation settles in the surrounding tissues, and all of that situation together puts pressure on the sensory nerve. And since that nerve's function is to transmit pain, it can be from minor to literally the most intense thing somebody's experienced in their life. So the idea is, is that when you stabilize one of those um, discs, I guess, the right. you, vertebrae? You stabilize the, the vertebrae so that the disc compression doesn't happen there. So the disc is like a pillow. You right. can imagine the disc is one disc in between each vertebrae, and it's like a pillow so that the bones don't rub on each other. And they also allow us to absorb shock as we walk. Then they're, they're a shock. So an unstable vertebrae will basically mess with the nerves, almost like their electrical wires being smashed in a funny way and causing things to short out. That's right. That's right. One of the ways that I thought about it when I used to have a lot of nerve pain is it, it feels like an electric distorted guitar string, like a live wire. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. That's a really complete explanation. And it, it can be, you know, debilitating. And this is why I got very interested in doing this line of work after I had a, a back injury of a severity that I went from being a, a high level athlete to being debilitated. I, I literally couldn't stand, sit or lie down for any extended amount of time without the pain starting to come on and then increase. How did you sleep? I, I slept in small periods. I had many, many years of insomnia because of the pain. Oh my God. So you're 17, you go in, the doctors say, well, we should just fuse the crap out of your spine, basically put a metal rod down your body and then do surgery and figure out what else we can do to rip you to pieces and make your life miserable. That's right. And this was at Kaiser Permanente. And I grew up with Kaiser and I, I had a lot of injuries myself growing up. And so I actually said to the doctor, after all the bones that I broke, you're telling me this is not going to get better. <laughs> you know? So you had broken bones before? I had broken my thumbs, my, my shin bones several times. I grew up doing BMX and judo and jujitsu taekwondo surfing pretty big waves so i had full faith in my body that it would heal so i actually told the doctor i said you got to be kidding me this is going to get better i'm not going to get surgery you know my parents didn't really raise us with holistic medicine so the md's opinion it was almost like how somebody goes to see their their priest or their pastor and what they say they follow it on complete faith because if you don't believe this if you don't know the system of medicine if you don't know the science if you don't know the anatomy then what the doctor tells you you're, you're believing that on blind faith. If you understand the anatomy, then you can also cross-reference what they say with your understanding. But at, at that time, I didn't have that. But I had the, the courage to say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. So I refused all the surgeries. And from that point, I went and talked to every physical therapist, acupuncturist, and chiropractor that I could find to try to find help within the holistic means that I, that I had heard of. What happened then? 
First, the MD, when he sent me away, he said, okay, you can get painkillers here. So they would give me painkillers when I would come to visit them in pain. So the MD's two options were the painkillers or the surgery. Right. That was as far as they went. Pretty limited. This was the 90s before what we call now the opiate crisis. So they would give me 300 painkillers per visit. They would give me 100 oxys for when I had the intense pain, and then 100 Vicodin for when I had moderate pain, and then 100 hydrocodone for when I had the low-level pain. This is a 17-year-old. Oh my God. You know, I lived with chronic pain, so I had to learn how to manage the use of those painkillers on my own, because like I said, I didn't live at my parents' house at that time. And the pain would come on very strong. So everybody thinks of chiropractors as a pain management doctor. That's, that's not actually how they define themselves. They define themselves as wellness practitioners because the clearing of the subluxations of the spine, the subluxations are the subtle misalignments of the spine. It can put pressure on the spinal cord and decrease someone's health. I was going there in complete pain with recent fractures, with herniated discs. And what I found was a lot of the chiropractors said, I'm sorry, this isn't what I do. And they would actually, ref they would turn me away. And a couple of them actually said they were afraid that they would hurt me worse if they did adjust me. They weren't sure that I was ready to be adjusted yet. And I would receive acupuncture and it would give me relief for a period of time, maybe a couple hours or a day. Mm -hmm. But my pain was intense. I had fractured the, a part of the neck and the rib cage, also the lower back. And so, you know, acupuncture is not just going to make that go away. Mm -hmm. I found a chiropractor named Karosh Shakiri, and I told him that several other doctors had turned me away. And he looked at me in the eye and said, if I turn you away, where else are you going to go? And he had only been a chiropractor for a few years. He had graduated from LifeWest Chiropractic, where I'm currently going. And he had full confidence in his work, and he adjusted me very skillfully. And every adjustment, I felt a total relief of the pain, but it would only last for a couple of days. But he told me, don't worry about it. You're young. I know you don't have a lot of money. I'm back, I'll take care of you. So I would go to see him every two to three days and he would adjust me even sometimes for free, sometimes what I could give him at the time. And then after a couple weeks of that carrying on, he told me, okay, look, the adjustments are not holding because you need to work your musculature so that it can hold the adjustments into place. He said, if you go study yoga, it's a, a very complete system. He says, it's not really complete how they teach it here in the US, but if you really study it, you can learn to adapt it to your own body and you can heal doing that system. So then I began looking at different yoga studios and I would drop in and take a class. I would tell the teacher I had been injured and so they wouldn't push me too far into the postures. Now the thing is that at this time was coming this wave of what we call vinyasa yoga. Vinyasa translates to breath with movement. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that every breath or, or sometimes two to five breaths, they're already transferring to a new posture. And with a recent back injury, it was very difficult to change positions in yoga. I could get into a position. But then going from, say, up dog to down dog, it would shoot the nerve pain down my legs. Mm -hmm. So it was very difficult for me to go to a class. But what I could do was I could go to a class, study what they did, go home, and adapt that to what my body could do. And so that was where I began. I began just, it was the ba most basic sunrise salutations. You stand up, you bend forward, up dog, down dog. Uh, mm -hmm. Stand up, bend forward, and repeat. And you throw a few lunges in the middle. And then you're starting to get into some basics of how vinyasa sequencing positions itself. Mm -hmm. One day I, I found a friend in downtown Berkeley and she said, I'm going to go do Kundalini yoga. Come with me. I said, okay, let's go. We went to this ashram in San Leandro and the guys there was a very different kind of a yoga scene. You know, these guys were all white. They had a turban on, the guy had a big beard and the teacher teaching the class was, I think he was 63 years old at the time, still teaching yoga in very good shape, very good health. And he looked at me and he said, you know, your age is best determined by the health of your spine. And right now you're 100 years old and I'm 20. He was in far better shape than I was. How was your pain at this point? 
So at this point, this was about a year and a half after my injury. So I was still waking up every day on a scale of one to 10, eight out of 10 pain. Were you better in general? What I would do is I would wake up in a, a really serious amount of pain in my neck and my lower back and my ribs, mm -hmm. kind of roll over, get into a hands and knees position, start doing some spinal flexion, what we call cat cow and yoga, raising mm -hmm. the rib cage up and down, and then working myself into positions where I could then get up and get into the shower and get dressed and all that. So, you know, I would say I was living in debilitating pain at the time. But you had experienced some improvement? Yes. I had been looking around and I was getting adjusted and finding Dr. Karosh really sort of what I think of like a temporary lease of pain-free lease. You know, I was moving around a little better. It was a good time to look for a style of exercise to try to maintain those results. So back to the 20-year-old, uh, 60-year-old yoga teacher. His name was Sat Santok, and he is a big person, a big character in Kundalini Yoga. And also with a big history in San Francisco, he was a good friend of Ken Kesey, who did what they call the acid tests. Oh, yeah. And he was a part of the first festivals that they threw there together. At the time, he was the manager of the Grateful Dead. And so he was the one that booked the Grateful Dead at those parties. And in, in the beginning for him, it was all about mind expansion and the search of spirituality. And he, he found a point where he felt that the rock star lifestyle had gone a little bit more towards debauchery for him. And so that was when he left that path and became a meditation student and, and led himself into a path of studying yoga and studying meditation and, and later becoming quite an influential person. So I had this class with a gentleman, my first time trying kundalini yoga, and the man leading it was one of the first disciples of uh, Yogi Bhajan, who brought kundalini yoga here to America from India. And uh, Yogi Bhajan is the man that, that brought this style. You could say he invented kundalini yoga by, by combining several things that he knew from his region. So I took a class with somebody that had a ton of experience. And it wasn't your typical yoga where people think it's about flexibility and we're in these deep lunges. I don't think there was one down dog or up dog in the entire class. There was no vinyasa. There was no chaturanga. The entire class, most of it was on our backs doing core workouts with pranayama, which is a breath control meditation. A lot of times speeding the breath up, doing things we call breath of fire, where you're pumping rapid inhales and exhales from the diaphragm to strengthen it. And at the same time doing core workouts. So it generates a lot of energy. It sounds like this kind of rapid breathing. What kind of core workouts were you doing if you were on your back? Lying on the back and doing things like putting legs straight up in the air, arms parallel to the legs. Oh, yeah. Lift your hips, lift your shoulders, and then do this rapid breathing. And in this style of yoga, you're in that position for two minutes. Oh, my God. And you just, the beginners are right there next to the advance because the only difference is the beginners might take a couple rests within that two minutes. Push for 30 seconds, lift up, hold it, as long, and then they collapse down, and then they catch themselves, and they lift up again, and they hold it. And then the advanced people are right next to them doing it the entire two minutes without the need for a break. And then we would have multiple abdominal workouts centered on similar muscles right by each other back to back for an hour doing these pranayamas with core workouts. And I have to say by the end of that sequence, it's called the abdominal strengthening sequence of Kundalini Yoga. You can look it up on a Google search and you can download it for free, the abdominal strengthening series from Kundalini Yoga. And that was the first Kundalini Yoga sequence I ever did. And after that class, I said, my God, I stood up I said, my back has not felt this good since before I broke it. Just one session? One hour. One hour. One yoga. hour. One hour of yoga. Oh my God. Because within that hour, my core was engaged like it had never been since I had injured myself. Whoa. What do you think was different? In the olden days when somebody had a lumbar injury, when they had sciatica, for example, 
and they went to their medical doctor, their physical therapist, they would give them a, a lumbar brace, a really strong piece of elastic that basically went from the hips to the rib cage, wrap around with strong pieces of Velcro and give support. And when people have a nerve compression, a disc compression, a serious pain in the lower back, that's what it needs is extra support so that you can sort of fight the force of gravity, which is pushing your, your whole weight of your upper body down onto that compressed nerve. It makes standing up and every all that movement so intense. And so you need support. What the doctors started to realize over time was that using those braces made people's back pain far worse in the long run. Because when they would wrap that brace up, now all of a sudden you have no need to engage your abdominals. So they would let the abs go and then when they would take the break brace off, they have no abdominal bracing and their back would hurt even worse. So now the doctors don't recommend those so much anymore. And so that was what I gave myself through Kundalini Yoga. I gave myself a back brace. I did an hour of core. I stood up and I could feel support to my spine like I hadn't had in years. So at this point, we're looking at about two years after the back injury. So in terms of inflammation, the spine can actually hold inflammation for days, weeks, even years, because there's a lot of bones and tendons and ligaments so close by each other. So when there's a bad enough injury, you can have inflammation that just stays there. And one thing that's very interesting about these sort of ballistic breathing patterns, these, these pranayamas, the science of kundalini yoga, is that when you pump the breath, you also pump your cerebral spinal fluid, which is the fluid that comes up and down through the brain, through the spine, washing your brain and pumping the, the sequencing of these messages through your nervous system back to your brain again. And you're also pumping your lymphatic system. And so it's helping to push a rapid detox to your body. What's a lymphatic system? If you imagine your circulatory system as it circulates through the body, the arteries, the blood vessels, next to them is adjacent tubing systems that we call the lymphatic ducts. And what they basically are is you can think of it like a garbage disposal. It takes all the toxicity from the metabolism that's happening in the cells of the body and it drains it out through these ducts so that that toxic material doesn't have to circulate through our blood. And that way our body is constantly cleaning itself. And then it filters through the liver and then goes through most of it out through our urine. And so as you pump your breath, you also pump your lymphatic system. And pumping the lymphatic system, speeding up a rapid detox of your body helps to also lower inflammation. Fascinating. So you're in this yoga class. You feel so much better afterwards. You feel, I imagine, pretty, I can't imagine what that must have been like, those moments. It felt for me like one of those movies where you meet the yogi with the big white beard, you know. <laughs> On the hill. He was a very loving man, but you could tell it was his lifestyle and had been for the better of 30, 40 years. But how did you feel? You must have felt. I went over to him and I, I told him, I said, I had a major back injury. My back feels incredible. I want to really study this style of yoga. And, you know, I come from a background of studying several styles of martial arts. So I come from this way of thought that you find a teacher and you move forward with something rapidly. And so I told him I really want to study. And he said, if you really want to learn, I'm doing a teacher training program. It starts in a couple months. And so I got the information. And when the date began, I showed up and took that man's yoga teacher training program, which was a year long. So I was in there with people that had been doing kundalini yoga for 10, 20 years, very dedicated students that knew a ton about it. I had taken one class. I had very little knowledge of even what yoga was. And I was here in a yoga teacher training which was a, a very intense program. Every weekend, we had to actually sleep at the ashram. It would get us up at 3.30 in the morning, take a cold shower, and then begin meditation at 4 a.m. First hour was yoga, what we consider yoga, as in exercise portion. And then the second hour was mantra and breathwork pranayama meditation. And so two hours of meditation on Saturday morning and Sunday morning started with a nice, nice cold shower. 
fabulous 4 a.m to 6 a.m and so that was how our day began and yoga teacher training days and then we would move then into breakfast and then another two to three hours of practice of yoga and then an hour or two of study of what we were doing and then another hour or two of yoga so by the end of the day you know we've done six to eight hours of yoga oh. and, and within the end of that teacher training program i had completely rebuilt my spine I was returning to surfing, which was how I had hurt myself. I was riding a skateboard and a bike around. My, you understand, my MDs had to tell me, and this is you know, what we call the CYA method that every doctor has, cover your ass method. They had to have me sign a piece of paper right. saying if I became completely paralyzed from my injury, mm -hmm. I have been warned that this is a risk of refusing the surgeries, mm -hmm. which they recommended. And I had to sign that paper saying that I would not come back and sue them. Right. if I was paralyzed from my decision to not have the surgeries. Mm -hmm. They told me I, would, I should never run for the rest of my life. I'll never ride a bike. You know? And I had to basically teach myself how to walk without pain. I couldn't stand for long periods of time. And then here you put me after this year of yoga teacher training in Kundalini Yoga, and I'm out surfing again. I'm riding a bike long distances on the weekends, mm -hmm. riding a skateboard around town wow you know re right. returning back to all of those things that this is, i had done before this is like two years later right so by this time the injury happened at 17 and then i took both a yoga teacher training program and i went to massage school when i was 19 and i finished both of them when i was 20. so then by the time i was 20 i began my new career in helping other people with spinal pain did you still do martial arts so when I went through the yoga teacher training program at 19, I was at this point still waking up every day in debilitating pain. I would do the um, abdominal strengthening series I mentioned. That became my daily practice for about two to three years. I would do that sequence every day for about two to three years. And it was through that core work that I started to get my life back. And, um, you know, I'm coming from a point where I was at home in so much pain, I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get a job? I can't stand or sit comfortably, you know? And so it wasn't until a few years later, I believe I was 25 or 27, where I actually hit the point of physical conditioning, where I decided to return back to doing judo, jujitsu, and kickboxing. Can I ask, what did your doctors think? They must have been like kind of flummoxed that here's this person with all these injuries and there he's doing this far-flung you know, Eastern thing, and he's fine. I did go back to that same medical doctor at Kaiser about six years later, I think, right before I left California to go to start my undergraduate in New Mexico. I went back to visit that doctor. I found his name in my history reports. I went to go visit him to show them that not only could I walk, but I could walk on my hands. And I actually did a handstand there in his <laughs> office wow. and walked around his office on my hands because at that point I had reached a pretty high level of yoga practice. Yeah, I bet. But I didn't get my satisfaction because he didn't remember me. Oh, that's too bad. He had was no he still, idea. Was he still impressed? He had no idea uh, what I could do. He asked me to not do a handstand in his office. He was. <laughs> but he, he wasn't impressed. He, he was terrified I was going to knock he, something over or hurt myself. These, that he had all these injuries and you could walk on your hands. <laughs> he says, "If you fall, you can sue us. Stop doing that." But seriously, he didn't even care at all that you had all this injuries and all this stuff. And like, so what? So you can walk your hands. Big deal, man. This interaction, I, I went back for that satisfaction. Right. I didn't get it. But what I did get was a perspective of how the medical doctor views spinal injuries. Okay. And that experience deepened my practice within helping people the way that I do through massage and yoga. Because some of the words that he said to me was, he said, you never broke your back in the way that you're describing to me. Because if you did, you would never be doing as well as you're doing now. <laughs> and I showed him my x-rays from then and I showed him my x-rays now. Uh-huh. 
And I said, you told me that I would have vertebrae covered in arthritis by the age that I am now. And I don't. Look at my x-rays now. And he said, if your spine looks like that now, it's because you never hurt yourself as bad as you said. And I told him, well, it doesn't, I didn't have the arthritic process form because I did a ton of yoga through the years. So I didn't have the same spinal compression or lack of movement that most people would have. And he looked me eye and he said, yoga would have nothing to do with the onset of arthritis or any of those things. It's completely separate. And so that opened my mind to a certain thing because when people, come to me in my practice when I'm helping them with their sciatica and they've been to their medical doctor and they've right. been given the, the doomsday prognosis, which again, they're not doing it with bad intention. They have a responsibility to tell people the worst possible thing that could possibly happen. That way, if it happens, they don't come back and sue them and say, you told me I was going to be fine and now look how bad it is. So they have that responsibility. But what I view within people is the maximum healing potential within their spine, which we can ignite with exercise. We can stimulate with deep rest. There are a lot of things that your top athlete is a lot of time missing, which can get them to go from semi-pro to pro. A lot of the time it's not working harder. It's knowing when to take their deep rest, when to yeah. take their recovery times. Because sure. that's when their body heals all of those minute injuries, which right. are making them stronger over time. I'm gonna backtrack just a little bit for my own satisfaction. When you showed him the x-rays, did he not acknowledge that your injuries were as bad as they, you said they were? He literally said, if your injuries was as bad as you said, your spine would not look like that now. But you told him, look, here are the x-rays. Is that not proof that what you're Right. You're and my, and my x-rays are still nothing pretty. You can see, uh, you know, a floating piece of bone by one of my vertebrae from a, a piece of bone that I had broken off. But he was not convinced by the x-ray that you were telling the truth? No, and he didn't believe that yoga would have helped me with that so with that he, magnitude of an injury. I mean, if he's got this proof here and you're saying this, is he just thinking, oh, this guy, these x-rays aren't real? I mean, it, it really turns into a comical situation. And it was a source of extreme frustration for me at the time. Extreme frustration. This was the person that you're going to for help. Right. You know? But what I said to people later on, when they come to me and they say, my medical doctor said it was this, and now look how you're helping me. I tell them, you know, he's not stupid. He's just ignorant, which means they don't know about those other things. They know a ton about what they know about, which is spinal surgery. You have to understand it took these people so many years to arrive in the place that they are. A lot of years of dedicated study just to make sure that they could do that spinal surgery. So yeah, most of them weren't, you know, taking yoga teacher trainings on the weekends. It amazes me that a medical doctor could look at an x-ray all of his training, her training, say, I can see how messed up you are, and then see that you're completely healed, not acknowledge that, and somehow say, yeah, this isn't, this isn't true. It's just incredible to me. You know, for years in the University of Santa Cruz, when you got a bachelor's in science, uh -huh. it was called the Bachelor of, of Arts, right? because they view science as art. <laughs> The thing is, when you get deep enough into the study of science and medicine, you realize that it's all philosophy. We're all philosophizing on how we see it, and we're all working within our comprehensive knowledge. And everybody has a slightly different body of knowledge, which they are a master of. And we function within where our flashlight is shining, that area that we have uh, studied the most. I know a lot now about helping people with back pain through massage, through yoga, through strengthening, and through deep tissue, you know, but I'm, I'm no endocrinologist. My wife had a eye injury recently, and I was a big dummy around it. Yeah. You know, so, so these people are masters at helping people with slightly more serious things, but they know almost nothing when it comes to helping your everyday person, which is almost tragic because the, your average person views the medical doctor as the superior medical expert. And so you want their opinion to be all encompassing of options. You want to know the allopathic option. You want to know the, the non-surgical option. But what a lot of people find is they're either offered surgery 
they're offered painkillers, or they'll say, go to physical therapy. And those are the three things. And then outside of that, you can go to your acupuncturist, you can go to your chiropractor, you know, each of which has their, their benefits and their limitations when it comes to treating spinal conditions in particular. It's amazing. Wow. I'm just processing all this. Uh, I think your journey is um, absolutely captivating. For me, the most, the most shocking thing about all of it, looking back, is the fact that they would send a teenager home with 300 painkillers. A medication that if you take enough and have some alcohol, you can overdose and die. Uh, did you, you know. did you consider yourself to be an addict? I never took painkillers at the volume where I had what I would consider an addiction in, in the sense of having withdrawals from not having them, from having the cravings or the sense that I needed it. But I would definitely say I had a dependency because I had daily pain and it was not a low level pain. It was a very high level pain. And especially in the two years before I discovered the Kundalini Yoga, I didn't know what to do about the pain yet. It hurt when I lie down, it hurt when I stood up. All I could do is get up, walk around, keep moving. That was my best thing. But again, I knew that when I would take one painkiller, you feel the feeling of the opiate. Your mind kind of goes, ooh. Maybe you feel like you're in a better mental space to deal with it. Now you don't feel like, my goodness, this pain is so intense. How am I going to go on? Now you're feeling like, okay, let's go get some breakfast. You know what I mean? Let's make the best out of this. But your pain isn't gone. Yeah. My parents were raised us Mormon, and they were very strict about no drugs. You know, we don't do drugs, you know? And even though I myself didn't stay Mormon, I had a very strong raising, a very strong upbringing on not become an addict. Okay. Right. So as I was at home taking these painkillers every day, every day I was negotiating with it, with my upbringing. Am I addicted to these? Are they helping me? Are they hurting me? You know? And so because of that, I never let myself become addicted. And I could see how I'd wake up in the morning feeling almost like a hangover from taking the painkiller the night before, but worse. And in a way, the only thing that would make it go away was of course, taking another one. Right. And so you can see how quickly the addiction would form with the back pain present as well. And so one of the first people that I saw really go downhill in that way was a friend of mine that I knew from the years when I played music full time. And so his name for his privacy, we'll call him Aaron. And he was a credible bass player. In fact, he played with George Clinton. He played with Perry Farrell and Jane's Addiction. He would tour with these major musicians and play in stadiums. Phenomenal jazz, jazz R&B bass player. And uh, he would sometimes play with me and my band as well. And we just knew him through our circuit of performing musicians. And one day by carrying his bass amp on stage, bending over and rotating is how it typically happens when you're holding a weight. He herniated a disc and it was bad and he didn't know how to deal with it. And we were young, we were in our early twenties. And from that, he was given painkillers from his MD and told to do PT, but he didn't have insurance. So he never did the PT. He wasn't very disciplined kind of guy. So he started doing the painkillers a lot more. And before you knew it, he couldn't get refills on his painkillers because he didn't have insurance. And the doctors kept saying, well, how bad are you hurt? How bad are you hurt? You know, wanting him to get x-rays and MRIs. These are, these are expensive tests for somebody that's a performing musician who hasn't been discovered. So before you know it, the pharmaceuticals are too expensive. So he's uh, smoking heroin. Some of the people from the music industry, unfortunately, you'll see some of the presence of, of heroin. And some people will treat it a little bit more loosely when they smoke it because they're not actually injecting it. So they'll treat it more like we're not addicts like those other guys, you know, and he actually kept it hidden the whole years that he was playing with us. He would always deny that he was on heroin, but those of us that had been around it enough, you know, the signs and it's pretty clear. He was coming to play with us at the music studio. He would disappear for 15 minutes in the bathroom and then he'd come back much more loose and he would play, you know, 
the most incredible bass you'd ever heard in your life for a couple hours. And so it ended up being a huge, uh, just a waste of talent. And it all started from his back injury, which was the interesting thing to me. Before that, he was a, a common kind of party guy. You know, he liked to smoke some pot and have a drink when he would play a show. Yeah, nothing out of the out of the ordinary. But then his back injury got him into the painkillers, and then the lack of health care got him into looking for cheaper solutions, and then that led him to smoking the heroin. I, we never really knew how bad it was. He just kind of fell off the map. And then I saw him a couple years later, and he had gotten so bad. I mean, when you, when you smoke heroin, it gives your gums a sort of a decay, and the teeth start to fall out. And so he only had a couple teeth left in his mouth, and he had liver spots on his face, uh, pushing a shopping cart full of cans. Oh, really? You know? His girlfriend actually recognized me. Hey, look what happened to us. Look how bad we got. And she picked up a, a can and was shaking it in the air. You know, so she was in it She too. herself was, was aware of how bad they had gotten. Was she on heroin as well? Oh, yeah. They were oh both, you know, God. at this point, homeless and collecting cans for money. Ugh. So that was my first time seeing somebody, good friend, have a back injury, not get help. Yeah. Totally go downhill. Did he dig himself you know, out? You know, I never saw him after that moment. Ugh. Never saw him after the moment. Pulling story. out money at the ATM and he walked by pushing a shopping cart. That's a hard story to hear. And this is someone that was performing it at stadiums with Perry Farrell and, and George Clinton and you know, a very top level musician. So there's somewhere out there, there's a homeless guy who's a top level bass player. You know, one of my friends actually told me they saw Sly from Sly and the Family Stone in San Francisco one time. He, really? He was a bad crack addict apparently at the end of his career and oh, God. was asking for change. Was the pity. He was also so talented. Oh, a lot man. of these shining stars in the music industry. So in the music in the music industry, as I played these shows, I became friends with a lot of musicians, and some of them had opiate addictions. Mm -hmm. And I saw them go downhill. And we lost a few good ones in those years, in the late 90s. And then I moved to New Mexico, started working at a holistic clinic called Mountain Spirit. And we, we treated people there for back pain all day. And that was when I started to talk to people. They'd come in there on, on, on painkillers with debilitating pain. They'd have uh -huh. their medical doctor just giving them painkillers freely. Mm -hmm. The city I lived in called Española has one of the highest heroin addictions in the country per capita. Oh, man. It's one of these country areas. A lot of people do very hard physical labor, mm -hmm. uh, so herniated discs are common. Mm -hmm. And so you'll find them on painkillers. And in those areas, the doctors were not getting penalized at the time for giving prescriptions out mm -hmm. with some liberty. So almost everybody that I was working on at that clinic, Mountain Spirit in Santa Fe, had had herniated disc injuries. They're, they're driving trucks, they're doing hard work, and they're on painkillers. And so I would start to talk to them. You know, we're going to get you pain-free. We're going to get you off these painkillers. Because mm -hmm. in some cases, you could see these people had a strong willpower. Mm -hmm. They would use it responsibly. They really didn't like using them, mm -hmm. but they were there for them when they needed it. In other cases, you could see their entire family was falling apart children not speaking to them anymore oh. or, or, or them having to not, not able to stay at home with their wife at the time because they're going through so many fights. And because of the experiences that I had had in the music industry mm -hmm. of seeing how bad the addictions could get, I felt very, very secure and very firm in telling people that I thought it was a good idea that they break that habit. Let's move into the portion of uh, people you've helped. I was working with a gentleman named Steve and his job was repairing the traffic lights at the intersections. So he would go up in the little bucket, you know, it would lift him up and he would have to get up there and switch the lights out. Uh, but the problem was he was about 320 pounds and about five foot six. So he was carrying quite a bit of weight around and working all day in this little bucket with his arms above his head. So needless to say, he came to me with a lot of intense lower back pain. He was taking painkillers on a semi-regular basis, but not the type of person that I would consider addicted by any means. But somebody that was taking painkillers enough to where it's affecting his health. 
and his wife would complain. You know, he's not taking the painkillers on the Friday, and then all he does is sit at home and watch television. It's getting very, very boring for her, you know, and she wants to go and do things, and he doesn't want to go and do them. So already hitting a point where taking them more frequently, taking higher dosages, and he would come in for a massage for the back pain, and he would see a chiropractor as well. But he always told me that my massage helped him more than the chiropractic. And, you know, I told him that it's not that the chiropractic doesn't work. It's just that the muscles on his back were so spasmed from carrying all that weight around that relieving the amount of lactic acid built up in the muscles would help the muscles to stop spasming so he would feel better, but only for a day or two. So after I gave him a couple massages, I started to talk to him about losing weight. If somebody's carrying around that much weight, it's sure that his lower back is going to hurt. And then here he's talking to me already about how he's taking painkillers and he doesn't want to become addicted to them, but he's taking more and more. And when he asked his doctor what he can do, the doctor just says physical therapy. But this guy's so far gone at this point, he's so far overweight that it's difficult for him to do what we would think of as regular exercise. And so I talked to him about it and I said, you know, you just got to get moving. At least try to walk around the block, you know, once a day with your wife and try to get outside and get moving. And every little bit you, you will stimulate your body to release a little bit of fat. He told me, he said, the problem with my weight is that my thyroid is underactive. He said, my weight isn't something I can control. It's because my thyroid's not functioning. He said, my doctor even said, I'm this weight because of my thyroid. And so I take a thyroid medication because if you don't know this, the thyroid is the gland that's in your neck that controls your metabolism. So it's, it's a chemical hormone releaser that stimulates your body to pick up glucose, make, make sugar, and make energy. And it's also in deficiency, it's going to make your body gain weight much more quickly. People that have underactive thyroids will joke and say that they can gain weight by drinking a glass of water. I told them, I said, you know, I believe that if you start exercising more and more, you can increase your metabolism. And I believe that it's possible that even your thyroid will start to function better over time if you can lose weight, start exercising, and improve your diet. I'm no medical doctor or dietitian, but I was giving him simple things. You know, you don't have to be a dietitian to know that you can't live off of beef and pork all, and no vegetables. And, you know, so I talked to him about cutting down the, the red meat, getting some fish in there, helping him to exercise so he could lose weight. And he had a point where he had to make a choice because his wife was angry at him already for using the painkillers. He's already starting to have an unhappy marriage. And he had to figure out how to manage his back pain or else he was going to become reliant on these things. And so he decided to go ahead and take my advice. And mind you, by this time, I've only given him two or three massages. So the amount of time I've spent with this man total is two or three hours. But he decided to go ahead and all he did was stop eating red meat. He replaced red meat with fish. Mm -hmm. Started eating a little more vegetables. And his first time going out to exercise, he got on his bike with his wife and they rode around the block one time. And he said after that one time, he was exhausted. Yeah. One time around the block, he was completely out of breath. Yeah. They dropped that bike in the garage and they went and laid down in the couch. But they did it again the next day and again the next day and again the next day. And you fast forward and this, this man retook control of his life. And he had to do this on his own. All I could do is tell him that he should think about it, right? He had to take control of his life. And he ended up losing the amount of a small human being. He lost between 100 to 120 pounds. Jesus. And by this time, him and his wife were riding their bikes 60 to 80 miles on the weekend. Going into a completely active lifestyle. And sure enough, by the time his weight had gone down that much, his thyroid started functioning again. Wow. And he didn't need to take the thyroid medication anymore. Yeah. Something that his doctor didn't think was possible. But in terms of holistic medicine, sometimes we will think that a gland like that might not function because the body is just 
too tied up trying to improve the health on so many other levels. It has to sacrifice one thing for the other. And then there's certain levels of, of nutrition like iodine that the thyroid might need. And if the body's not absorbing what you're getting, then you might not be able to deal with that. But in cases like this, this gentleman, I, ha I had a huge amount of respect for this man because of the amount of self-control that it took him to lose that amount of weight. So then his pain went away? His, his lower back pain disappeared. With all he did, had to do was lose weight. That's right. That's amazing. And after a while, I never saw him anymore. He didn't come back from massages even because on the weekends he was out riding his bike. He used to come for massages on Saturday. Can you compare the costs of what he was facing in the medical establishment versus the cost of what he actually paid under your care? So this is the incredible thing because sometimes I will have people tell me that, you know, why is my massage expensive? Because sometimes <laughs> it's not, it's um, a steal. <laughs> you can get a massage on San Francisco a few blocks away for $60 an hour. Yeah. And I charge $120 an hour, slightly above the normal cost. But if you consider the alternatives, this man was recommended to do two spinal fusions. So when he found me before we did our first massage session, he had seen his neurosurgeon and the surgeon did the MRIs and said, you're going to need two spinal fusions. We're going to fuse two sections of your lumbar, which means, you know, you fuse the sacrum to L5 mm -hmm. and then you fuse L5 to L4. So the mm -hmm. entire lower three vertebral sections are non-mobile after that. These procedures cost between ten to $20,000 per operation and sometimes per fusion. Oh my God. So he could have spent about $40,000 doing that operation, somewhere between twenty dollars to $40,000. And then you figure after a spinal surgery, he's going to take three to six months off of work to heal. So then he's not going to be healing. He's going to have to apply for outside help, maybe mm -hmm. disability or something like that. Then the time in the hospital, when you add all of it up, all over cost, you might think fifty dollars to $100,000, depending on his lifestyle, depending on how much money he's missing by not working. And then the alternative things that he has to do to help him to recover from the surgery as well, the physical therapy, right. additional work. Because also the cost of getting any surgery is scar tissue. Right. That's the biggest cost. Yeah. Now you've got scar tissue from them going in there. And when we look at therapy for the spine and for joints, one of the first things we want to do is we want to get rid of the scar tissue. We want to mm -hmm. get in there and break it up. And then the cost of the way he did it with me, we had four massages. Each one costed 120 bucks. He bought uh, himself a new bicycle and he got his wife a new bike. I think they spent about 500 bucks on that. He spent less on food. And then they started going for their rides on the weekend. So then they had their cost of gas to go. Sometimes they would drive out to Denver and take these incredible rides through the Rocky Mountains. It's amazing. So total net cost of doing it holistically, you know, under two grand. Um, I can tell you that when I came to see Ryan, I think it was maybe a year ago. That's right. I was suffering. Uh, I do jujitsu, as many of you know, and had a lot of pain. Uh, Ryan is in chiropractic school, so he wasn't able to do adjustments, but he was able to do all the really cool stuff he does with stretching out certain things and also telling me what to eat. And he uh, just made all these really cool recommendations, um, sent me also to a chiropractor, uh, Dr. Jacobs, who's just amazing. I'm 45 years old. I train three to four times a week, back-breaking jujitsu. And I have, as I sit here, no pain at all, at all, zero. I am fully fine in that you get so used to being in pain uh, when you do jujitsu that you kind of forget about it. That's right. You know, it's not it's not as acute as I think what you know a lot of people experience with the chronic pain, but it's just always there. There's always a knee thing. There's a shoulder thing. I mean, the only pain I have left is is in my my right shoulder, which I injured pretty badly many years ago, and it's just when I sleep on it. Other than that, 
Um, no pain in the back, no pain in the neck. Just, I feel fantastic. I try to refer as many of my patients in my private practice to Ryan as possible for all sorts of issues because he not only knows his material, but he knows who knows them. He knows who the good experts are. He knows who to send you to. He's a spider web of incredible information. Well, thank you for that. I want to ask a general question. If someone has chronic pain, regardless of what the pain is, and the first stop, of course, is the doctor. But what's the next step if the doctor's solution is either too severe or just plain old doesn't work? You know, it's funny. My parents are still these types that are just like how they raised us. They just go to their medical doctor mm-hmm. and that's it. That's their medical professional. So I was visiting my parents recently and my, my mom was having back pain. And she goes, hey, Ryan, you're the expert. What do I do for my sciatica, you know? And I told her, all you have to do is stretch and balance out the tension in your hips and strengthen your core and your back will feel better, right? Whether it goes away 100% or not, it depends on how much somebody applies that formula, how extensive their damage is if they've had some some injuries. In my mom's case, she hasn't had any injuries. She's just feeling the aches and pains of being in her 70s, you know? Mm-hmm. I get her to where she's doing some things and she says to me, but you know, I heard about some people that you helped that were really far gone. They were really avoided surgery and all these things. How did you help them? And I said, the exact same thing. We had them stretch their hips and strengthen their core. They still needed the exact same thing. A lot of people would start to think because the injury was more intense that you need to come up with these new methods and rewrite the book on back injury. But still, we need our core to brace, support our movement. We need the hips to be in alignment because when I say tension in the hips, what I'm really saying is most people's hips tend to rotate to one side or the other, and one hip tends to come upward more than the other. That sets off the lower back at a, at a strange angle, and no amount of painkillers is going to make that go away. The person has to get moving so that the hips can start to drop down on the high side and come back the side that's pulling forward and balance out. Are you recommending that if you know if it doesn't work out with a doctor, they go see a chiropractor? Like what 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 would be the next phone call that a person would make? The job of the chiropractor is to adjust the spine. So they are an excellent stop to make to have somebody that knows how to deal with your spine with hands-on work, feel the sections that are the most restricted in their movement. But the amount that your chiropractor is going to help you with lifestyle advice or say massage it or spend 15 to 20 minutes with you to where you can tell them all about how you're feeling a lot of them do pretty quick sessions because what they really specialize in is that adjustment of the spine if you want someone to relax the muscles after that they're going to refer you to a massage therapist to do that work so you'd recommend that Absolutely. Combining the massage with chiropractic is very beneficial. A lot of people that get adjusted, their biggest question is, will that adjustment hold? And if so, for how long? If you, quote unquote, put it into place, will it be there for an hour or two or a day or two Mm -hmm. or a week or two? And the answer to that question is really different to everybody, Mm -hmm. depending on how much they're able to keep their lifestyle in balance in terms of what is the positions they're in all day that are adding pressure to their body mm-hmm. and how much time do they spend in a ratio as a comparison in positions that are going to help them to decompress and strengthen their body. So the message is basically to be really omnivorous about what kind of treatment you seek. To go here, to go there, to find a massage therapist who really knows the body and to maybe try a yoga class or try whatever you can and just sort of Does that sound right? Yeah, expect the duck to be a duck. When people go to see their medical doctor, their spinal surgeon, and he doesn't know about yoga, they get frustrated. He's a spinal surgeon. When they go to their yoga teacher and they expect them to be an expert on sciatica and they get frustrated, it's a yoga teacher. Yeah. 
It's not a chiropractor. When they go to a chiropractor and they want to tell them about how hard their life has been because their back hurts and the chiropractor is saying, lie down. I already see where your back's out of place. Let me adjust you. And they're going, oh man, I didn't like him because he doesn't listen to me. He's a chiropractor. He's not a counselor. Similar to if a mechanic can look at your car and replace the part that's wrong in a half an hour, that means that they're an expert at what they do. If you want to talk to the mechanic about how you've been so frustrated because you've been late to work and now your boss is mad at you, the mechanic's not going to listen to that. He's going to replace the car part. Yeah. He's do it as quick as he can and the fact that they did it quickly means he's a good mechanic because he knew where to go he knew what needed to be replaced and he did it so sometimes people don't get the full-on lifestyle advice that they want from their chiropractor right but they do know a lot about the body so if you can find the ones out there that'll spend a little more time with you Mm -hmm. they are excellent people to pick their brain because they do know a lot do you have any pain now so today i'm 40 years old this accident that i was talking about when i fractured my spine happened when i was 17. And so when you have an injury of that severity, it's a bit of a lifestyle to manage your health. So if I were to completely drop off my daily discipline, stop exercising, stop stretching, start eating garbage food, my pain today could be just as intense as it was a few years after I broke it. But I don't live like that. I choose every day to keep moving. I I do an average of 90 minutes of exercise per day. I'm a yoga teacher, but I don't think that we should just do yoga. I think it's good for us to cross-train our body, use weights, do cardio, mix every element of health that you can into your exercise. And I live pretty pain-free. The times when I feel pain are just when I sit in a chair for too long. But you could say that about the majority of the population. If they spend too much time in a chair, their lower back will start to hurt. When it comes to being able to lift heavy things, I can do that just as good as any of my friends. Can you recommend any books or websites that come to mind For anybody that would like to learn about Chinese medicine from a layman's perspective, an excellent book is called The Web That Has No Weaver. It explains the theory of Chinese medicine, and anybody can benefit from reading that book by learning a lot of ways that they can take better care of their health from a Chinese medicine perspective. Okay. For studying yoga in terms of wanting to deepen your anatomical knowledge of yoga, a great book is called The Anatomy of Hatha Yoga. Uh, Another great book for actually understanding what the philosophy of yoga is, is Light on Yoga by BKS Iyengar. And another one is The Sutras of Patanjali. Patanjali was a gentleman that wrote a hundred-page book that summarized all of the philosophy of yoga. Without being too long-winded, he managed to write words that people are echoing over a hundred years later. Wow. He was alive, I think, during the time when the British were first coming to occupy in India. Okay. In terms of somebody finding a book that they can read to help themselves to understand how to rehabilitate their spine through exercise, I think those books still need to be written. Oh, maybe you should write one. I have a little more time. I would love to. Ryan is going to get like 15 degrees. You're in chiropractic school and you're also going back to get your license as an acupuncturist as well. That's right. I have still about a year and a half in chiropractic school. And we sometimes will finish up class around three or four or five in the evening. And what I'm working on now is a PhD in chiropractic with a concentration on correction of the subluxation and neurology. And I started to get restless and I went over to the acupuncture college in Berkeley and also put in an application there and asked them if I could start taking some night classes while I finish up my PhD. So at the same time applying for a second PhD program, which would take about four years to finish up. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap? Much of my career, I was working with elite athletes, people that were high-level athletes in jiu-jitsu and kickboxing and mixed martial arts. And I would see them 
at the peak of their career, these people are, are world-class athletes. And then you would see them have an injury to their spine serious enough where they would have a compressed nerve. And you'd see the strongest people become the weakest person in the world. And then working with this need to manage their pain in different ways. And one of the most striking things about it was the difference I could see in their mind when they would take painkillers for an extended amount of time, which would be sometimes going into deeper depressions. And these are the reasons why, aside from the actual loss of health, it would be the loss of physical health. Why I would encourage people, if you're using painkillers, to manage your pain now, to seek help, get to where you can take it on your own without that, so as to take better care of your mental state because I find that a lot of adults, particularly men, don't talk enough about when they feel depressed, mm -hmm. when they're having these feelings of feeling really down. And the more they can reach out to their friends in those moments, then they can help to keep that from getting to a point where it transfers into isolation, which is when people will tend to be subject to have feelings of being suicidal. I've seen a lot of people when their back gets so bad and they're using painkillers, where sometimes they can't find a way out. And it can be as simple as getting sober, starting to exercise, and all of a sudden, all of that feeling of hope can come back. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming in. That was a really gripping conversation, and I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me, and I enjoyed this very much. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. As always, pertinent information stemming from this podcast, including links and other resources, are available in the episode notes. Should you have any questions, feedback, or wish to be a guest on my podcast, I can be reached at benjaminrusick at gmail.com. That's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N-R-U-S-S-A-C-K at gmail.com. You can also reach me by visiting my website at benjaminrusick.com. In addition, I encourage you to subscribe, like, leave comments, and all the rest. Thanks again, and remember, if your plate is full, sometimes you need to scrape a few things off to the side, and sometimes you just need a bigger plate.